You're listening to Insights with Exonia Bank, a series of conversations from our experienced team of bankers. Today's host is Dan Westrup, Chairman and CEO of Exonia Bank, and he will be talking with Ryan Diedrich, Senior Vice President and Chief Market Strategist of LPL Financial. They will be providing an economic update that focuses on where we are in the business cycle, as well as where it could be headed in 2021. I'm happy to introduce Dan and Ryan. Hello, this is Dan Westrop. I'm the Chairman and CEO of Exonia Bank in Wisconsin, near the Milwaukee area. And with me today is a outstanding economist and market strategist, Ryan Dietrich, who is the chief market strategist for LPL Financial, or the nation's largest independent broker dealer. Ryan, you want to give a little our listeners a an idea of uh, your background, what you focus on, and a little bit of your history, and a little bit of where you see the economy today. Absolutely. Well, Dan, first off, thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. It's an honor, delighted to be here. So Ryan Dietrich, been with LPL for just about five years now. It is amazing how, how time flies. I'm a chief, the chief market strategist. So my job, uh, I work on a 30-person research team. We manage tens of billions of dollars for our LPL advisors. Um, but as a market strategist, you can do fun stuff, right? I get to go on TV. I get to travel when we get to travel again to present to clients, talk about what we're seeing from the Fed, what we're seeing from the economy, what earnings looking like, stocks, bonds, all that stuff. And I love that stuff. And I, I as we'll discuss here and the rest of this podcast. I love kind of looking at the past to potentially get a you know, a, a sign where the future will be. Um, Churchill said the further into the past we look, the further out into the future we might see. And that's one quote that I've always loved. I love to look at kind of what happened in the, before that might happen again. Um, and it never plays out exactly. Get, don't, let's, let's get that very clear. But still, I, I love to do that. Um, so, Dan, you know, where are we in the world, right? Well, Fortunately, we think the recession is over. We had one of the most vicious recessions we've ever seen in our country's history. Fastest bear market, fastest 30% correction ever. The economy, think about how the economy works or how a car works. I'm sorry. You can pump the brakes, slam the brakes, or hit a tree. Our economy hit a tree. Now we've slowly started to open back up. Um, you know, and again, we think the recession's probably over. And if you consider the fact that you tend to have years of economic growth, if this this current expansion is maybe just a couple months old, honestly, there still could be a lot to go, but it's not going to be easy. I mean, there, there are parts of the economy that have come back and parts that weren't even impacted, honestly, by by uh, by the recession, or they were for like a week or two. Um, but there are some other parts of services industry, some of those hard hit areas that are just going to be, uh, just, just take so long to come back from. Um, but from an equities point of view, so stock market point of view, you know, the stock market's at new highs almost as we speak, all right? And the stock market's one of the best forward-looking indicators we have for how the economy is going to do. Stock market tends to lead the economy six to nine months approximately. So we're optimistic that some of the strength we've seen in the stock market here is suggesting that 2021, the economy indeed will do better. Let's hope it doesn't do worse than we did in 2020. And um, there can be some uh, brighter and better times ahead. So those are kind of some of my my elevator pitch, if you will, kind of where we see the world and uh, how we see kind of the stock market and the economy. We can dive in a little bit more, but I just wanted to set the tone uh, from a big picture point of view there. Very good. You know, we're a uh, small local bank. Almost all of our commercial customers are small businesses. Their stock's not traded in the market. They're simply family-owned 
or community owned or, or something like that. But what we see in our loan portfolio, which is dominated by commercial lending, is that it's a mixed bag, as you said. Some segments have not been hurt at all. Most segments have been hurt, but they're seem to be turning a corner. And I would say in general, there's optimism, but it's optimism amid uncertainty. You tend to deal with bigger companies, uh, bigger macro kinds of influences. Is what we're seeing at the local small business level what you see uh, overall for the, uh, in the business world? Uh, it really is, Dan. I mean, there it's almost, you could say, a tale of two cities, right? I mean, there's the haves and have-nots that we've seen. Um, this is what's made so many people upset about, you know, this economic recovery, which has been doing okay, but not coming nearly as much as we want with the stock market near all-time highs. It's kind of like people feel like they're getting left out. And, and we've seen that before. But you mentioned, you know, kind of small businesses. Um, the NFIB does a, a survey of small businesses, and the optimism from small businesses going out 12 months is one of the highest levels that it's been. It's back to where it was in February. And, you know, you can listen to guys like me or turn on CNBC or even Jerome Powell from the Fed or other Fed chairpersons. The Fed is, does not have the best uh, ba- uh, best um, track record, if you will, on some, some, some things. But you know who does? Small businesses. Small businesses are one of the true better indicators for what they think might happen in the future. And, and again, uh, some of the recent polls show small businesses are quite optimistic. Consumer confidence has come back. It's not where it was in February, but it has come back. Um, so it, it just makes a lot of sense to us that if small businesses are, quote unquote, right once again with some optimism heading into 2021, uh, that could be a good deal. Now, the game breaker, the game changer, I guess we could say is, is COVID, right? We need a vaccine. And it sure sounds like this news this week we got from Pfizer. We're likely going to have very, very positive news from the Moderna vaccine also fairly soon. Uh, they're saying, you know, everyone might not get the vaccine in their arm until the third quarter next year. I mean, it's coming. We know it's coming. Uh, but, but you know, obviously the first first responders and people that are sick and, and elderly are going to get the vaccine first, and they absolutely should. But to get it widely to everyone is going to take a very, very long time. Um, but still, we're moving forward on that front, and we're optimistic, uh, again, that the Moderna vaccine and some of the other vaccines that are coming down the pipeline are all going to have very positive results, much like that Pfizer uh, results on Monday. And that's something to obviously look forward to to, um, you know, oh my, just finally, finally uh, beat uh, beat COVID, which has obviously just been a, a devastating, devastating event. Well, Ryan, uh, perhaps the hope of a vaccine is a vaccine in some ways, because um, people, uh, many of us in the Midwest anyway, are deep into a second wave or third wave. I don't know. It depends on who you listen to, uh, of worsening numbers. Uh, of positive cases of COVID, uh, hospitalizations that are up, uh, deaths are increasing again. Um, and in some of the areas of the country already went through it and are not experiencing that right now. Uh, but the question is, will they? So I think um, if we get to the point where we're administering vaccines, even if people are not receiving it yet, isn't that, uh, isn't that uh, going to spur more business, more spending, uh, all the things that we need to continue to have a positive economy? 
Yeah, we think so. I guess what some people call animal spirits, right? When things start to improve or look like they're going to improve, you go out and spend a little bit of money. And that's the truth. And my mom is stage four breast cancer and she, she's not doing all that great. So she is literally staying inside, you know, and it's like, I'm out with my kids, not just running around, wear a mask and be safe. But, you know, there are people that are impacted by this that have to be so, so very careful. So let's hope someone like her is one of the first to get this vaccine. Um, but but clearly with the hope of, of not hope, hope's not a strategy, but the realization that that this vaccine, that vaccines are coming, are really going to help open um, open things up. And it is, you know, it is animal spirits. I mean, there's a reason economists have talked about that. Just you know, if you look at Monday, I mean, some of those cruise ships obviously were had huge, huge moves on Monday. It's like, oh well, maybe people will be taking a cruise a little sooner than they thought with the with the good news. There are actually websites that keep track of when will there be a vaccine. You know, last week or so, they didn't expect a vaccine before the first half of this year, at least to be widely spread. Now, after the news we just had, it's widely assumed by the first quarter we're probably going to have a vaccine vaccine in all likelihood here um, that we can obviously start to use. So so those are some big things. And it's it's coming down to science and science is going to um, you know beat this. First responders and people have to beat it, but science has to help us beat this also. And that's um, that's one positive um, to kind of where we are, we think here, that we will beat it and the better times are coming ahead. Absolutely. Um, you know, we've, the recession that we went through or are going through Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I think wouldn't have been a recession without the uh, COVID. At least it would appear. I don't think we were headed for a recession pre-COVID. So there's a there's a definite correlation there. But I want to ask you something. Uh, it appears to me that some fundamentals like consumer spending and things like that have hung in there. I know savings are bank deposits are up. You know, a banker like me notices that those kinds of things. Bank deposits are up now. I don't know if uh, what would cause that. Would it would there are there's been high unemployment, uh, but yet there was some stimulus money, and that money has not been wanton wantonly spent. It would appear from looking at bank deposits. So spending kind of hung in there. Savings kind of hung in there, despite all of uh, what we've seen go on. How do you explain that? (laughs) That's a tough one to explain because this is not your average recession. I know that makes sense, but you're right. You guys, I mean, I know you pay attention to this in, in, in the world of, of banking. Credit scores, according to FICO, people's credit scores are an all-time high. Credit card debt is down during this recession. Debt is down during this recession. I mean, millions of people have lost their jobs and it's been impacted so many people. At the same time, this is a very unique situation where we saw COVID come in March. Um, a lot of people didn't lose their jobs, fortunately. But what they do, they kind of hunkered down. They stayed inside. You didn't go buy the expensive dinner at the steakhouse. You stayed home. You saved some money. You paid down some debt. So in a weird way, I'm not saying what happened is good. I don't want that to come off that way. But it's a unique situation where people have really built their balance sheets back. And like you said, there's a lot of cash in um, in checking accounts and money markets. And and it's the old saying, you know, cash on the sidelines. But there is some truth to that. I mean, if you ever watch CNBC, they'd say, oh, there's cash on the sidelines. But there really is a lot of cash on the sidelines. And that's just not for stock market, though. But that's for a rainy day. And you have to be, I think, impressed with the U.S. consumers on the most part because they have come back. Retail sales are at all-time highs. As we speak, I think we get another retail sales number next week. We'll see how that goes. But retail sales have been really strong. People are still spending money. And um, 
improving the balance sheet. But I do want to build on one thing you started on, then I'll, I'll turn it back to you. The idea of we probably didn't have don't have a recession this year. Our base case at LPL Research was there would not be a recession this year. The fourth quarter things slowed down last year. But in January and February, the economy really started humming, really started improving. And then COVID came and obviously sh- shut down everything down and that, that caused the recession. So we're in the camp also. We came into this year thinking earnings growth would be up maybe 7 or 8%. Stocks might gain 10 or 12%. Sure enough, we might get the stocks gain 10 or 12% part, but oh my goodness, earnings are not positive. Um, But again, it's it's just unique how that happened. And the reason that's happened is the stock market's a forward-looking mechanism, aware that that more earnings, we might have 25% earnings growth next year after this news with Pfizer. There's there's better growth coming next year, and that's what's getting priced in. But we don't think there would have been a recession without COVID, and we would have been the 11th year of an economic cycle without a recession, an all-time record. It's, it's nice to dream. It didn't happen. Uh, but we do think that would have been the case without COVID. All we can say is 2020 was not your, was not your average year. That's for sure. I think many yeah, of us yeah. are going to be happy when it's over. Uh, but, you know, you don't, I guess there's not a lot of difference in the real world between December 31st and January 1st. So I don't think there's it's going to be a, a dramatic turnaround. Um, let me ask you uh something about tax policy. You have some keen insights into this, uh, and I want to, I'd like to explore them with you. Uh, Generally, it's viewed uh, that Democratic administrations tend to uh, have higher tax environments than Republican administrations uh, for various reasons. But uh, what's your view of the situation with uh, President Biden coming into office, we assume anyway. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, clearly he he ran on a platform that said the corporate tax rate was going to go from 21% to 28%. We were going to see jumps in payroll taxes, jumps in capital gains for the first time since 2013, um, an estate carryover uh, tax hike, and then a very significant jump in small business taxes as well. Now, what happened with the election in all likelihood here, it's not official yet. There's still two runoffs in Georgia to happen, but the Republicans have 50 seats on the Senate. And that's a split. Now, if, if the Democrats were to win, which would be the upset, at least as of now, those final two seats, that's 50 to 50, and then the vice president gets the final vote. So, so Democrats would have a slight uh, tilt there. But with moderates and things, I, we think you know, one of the big winners from this election, obviously, potentially President, president Trump did not win. But the Republicans holding on to the Senate was an upset. The Republicans gaining seats in the House was something that very, very few people expected. Um, so, you know, this divided Congress, this the, the, the divided Washington, if you will, where the Democrats likely have the House, Republicans likely have the Senate, it probably means these high taxes that we're hearing about and higher regulation that we're hearing about potentially with um, President-elect Joe Biden, they're not going to happen. Right, they're simply not going to happen now, and we think that's a big reason why the stock markets had such a positive reaction. Even though you know, it took days after the election to finally, for at least some media places, to come out and call Joe Biden potentially the winner, um, the market was rallying. I mean, in a normal world, which 2020 is not, you would have expected a market sell-off because of the uncertainty. Oh my goodness, who's the next president? Stock market said, you know what? We're not as concerned with the next president as we are the makeup of Congress. And if there is gridlock in in Washington, that's a good thing. And Dan, the final stat I'll say, and I'll turn it back to you. This will be, in all likelihood, the 11th year in a row 
that the S&P 500 gained when you had a divided Washington, a split Congress, okay? Um, stocks tend to do well in that situation because you don't get the extremes, you get the, you know, more of a moderate, more of a balance. And, and Washington, or I'm sorry, Wall Street tends to like that. And we think that's a big reason why stocks have rallied so much. Now, we're going to have this runoff in Georgia. I think it's what, January 4th or 5th. I forget exactly. Uh, that could throw a little wrench in things if Democrats win both seats. But as of now, it's um, the Republicans are expected to win one seat by 66% or 66% um, or 66% chance of winning it and a 68% chance on the other. So it's widely assumed. That, oh, by the way, this is, this is interesting. In 1992 and 2008, you had a Democrat in his first year in the White House, President Clinton, President Obama. Take a guess. Georgia had a runoff both of those times. You know what happened both of those times? Republicans won the runoff by a pretty wide margin. Why is that? Well, it's probably as simple as, hey, you got your president in, the other party that lost was a little upset and they went harder and tried to win that runoff more. Now this runoff's gonna be different because there'll be a lot of money going into it because the Senate's at risk. We understand that. But still, in 92 and 2008, something similar happened and Republicans did maintain the the, the runoff in Georgia. And we think that's probably gonna happen again leading to a divided Congress. Well, you know... um my understanding is there was a lot of money spent on congressional races this year, a lot, by the Democrats. And I, it shows that money alone probably isn't, uh, isn't the answer for some of these, in some of these situations. Uh, the Republicans actually won some seats in the House uh, after it was assumed that they would suffer further losses. I think there's a lot uh, in Georgia, for instance, uh, I'm somewhat familiar with Georgia, but I think there's going to be a, there's just going to be, it's going to be so intense because this uh, split between the president and the House versus the Senate is going to be so important to some of the policies that the new president would like to put in place. How do you, how do you see that? Yeah, I mean, I'll just go. I live in South Carolina. Okay, I'm in Fort Mill, South Carolina, just south of um of Charlotte. And Jimmy Harrison. I mean, this is what you're talking about the money. I mean, he had a record amount of money put. And I can tell you one thing: there were a lot of Jamie Harrison signs <laughs> around my neighborhood and all over the place. And, and obviously, he he did not win. Um, you know, so so it uh it, it, you know not saying it was bad money spent. I don't want to come off like that. But still, there's a lot of money that had been spent and it didn't quite go the way I guess some people expected. That's um. I'm right in the middle of one of those seats that were expected to flip uh, to Democrats and obviously uh, did not. But it, it comes down to the Senate again, right? Mitch McConnell, if the Republicans have control of the Senate, he has a say in uh, you know, potentially some of the cabinet members that are going to be picked. So it's uh, it's an interesting situation where we really still are waiting on Georgia and, and kind of the way things shake out in January. But the reality is, hey, um, you know, Joe Biden, it's his, it's his cabinet. He gets to pick them. You got to vet them out by different people. But it, it probably is going to go a little more liberal, um, you know, the ones that people are obviously talking about, um, oh, you know, some of the more extreme to the left. I, I don't think he's going to quite go that ex- to the extreme far left. Now, now you know, the, the progressives obviously want him to go that route. Um, so he's got some interesting decisions right now. You know, is, is he, does he want to side with the more extreme progressives to the left or want to go more moderate, obviously, like he is? Um, those are some, going to be some interesting situations to see what he does. But, um, you know, the reality is he probably will pick someone that has ties to, Wash, uh, to Wall Street. Um, that's historically been what we 
we've seen, at least with Treasury secretaries in the past. So wouldn't be too surprised if he kind of stuck that route, someone a little more moderate, at least for this particular role. But there's a lot of roles he's got to fill in his cabinet. And, you know, again, I guess what we're interested in is how how extreme on the moderate on the progressive side he wants to go with some of those uh, those very valuable valuable seats that he's going to give to someone. Ryan, let me let me ask you about your view on real estate markets. Real estate markets have been strong in most locales. I don't know about all, but most locales, certainly in the Midwest, they've been strong. And I think most parts of the country, they've been strong. Interest rates probably have something to do with that. But how do you see real estate markets going forward? Yeah, well, I mean, if the economy continues to improve and open up like we think it's likely going to, like we talked about earlier, I mean, real estate is a strong area and it, it continues to be strong. And absolutely, the historically low rates with mortgage refis and mortgages makes makes sense. And even even adding debt when rates are low, people talk about the U.S. government. You know, we think there's going to be a major infrastructure play next year, and that, we would have said that no matter who won the presidency. And again, when rates are low, it makes sense to kind of lock things in. That's what our country did in the early '50s when we had low, last time we had low rates like this and did a major infrastructure plan. So there's potential drivers there. But back to real estate, I mean, the housing data that we've seen and some of the things that we've seen are just truly historic. I mean, just record spikes. And if you have a friend who's a realtor, they are they are just slammed and they're busy. Uh, um, you know, it's just amazing. So that's one positive. And, and this is one of the first recession, or it is, this is the first recession we've ever seen, and at least in our country's history, where the house or, um, uh, housing prices didn't budge. Usually housing prices go down a recession. That's just how it is. It just makes sense, right? Housing prices go down. People aren't buying houses. We didn't see that. People didn't buy houses for about two, three, four weeks. And then all of a sudden, on the other side of things, once people realize, you know, we were the economy started opening back up a little bit, housing just soared. And that's truly another very unique, unique situation about the um the what we're calling a record short recession. It probably lasted five or six months or so. Um, and we've never seen that situation before. Just another, oh, you know badge on the, the door for a badge on the wall for 2020. Just uh, that's um, truly fascinating. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, Ryan, was uh, spending under the new administration. And they have some um, wants, and I don't think much of their wants are totally partisan at all. I think that they, uh, even with a uh, uh, narrowly divided Congress, they could probably get some support for some of these things. So what what kinds of things do you see getting bipartisan support on the spending side? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. You think about our country, it's divided as it's been in a long, long time. We know that. Uh, But Mitch McConnell's a lifetime senator. Joe Biden's obviously, he's been vice president, but he was also a lifetime senator before that. So they kind of understand the inner workings of Washington. We're really optimistic that those two, um, you know, old school senators, if you will, on both sides of the aisle, which, by the way, um, when Joe Biden's son passed away, um, the only Republican, apparently, this is what I read, the only Republican that went to the funeral indeed was Mitch McConnell. So it makes you think there is some type of relationship there between the two of them that maybe we don't know about. Uh, that, that's a good relationship is what I mean to say. So maybe they can work together more than what most people are expecting, given the divisiveness of Washington so far this year. But we think for starters, the next, the next fiscal stimulus package, we need to help the people that are the most impacted by this. We think about a trillion dollar stimulus plan makes sense here. 
Again, because Republicans did better than we expected when it comes to uh, the breakdowns in the Senate and the House. So you're not going to get the $2 trillion deal that was rumored to be on the table a couple of weeks ago, um, the $1 trillion, but also the infrastructure plan. I talked about that already. That's something both sides of the aisle want and need, honestly, to get the economy going again with rates low. Let's lock it in. Let's take some debt out and, and do a lot of infrastructure to get things going. We think that's likely. But then one of the things about Joe Biden, you hear about the higher taxes. We, we're aware of that. But that's not the full story because there's a lot of spending he was going to come. He was he over the next 10 years, Dan, he's been looking, he's looking at a proposed seven trillion with a T trillion dollar spending package, over two trillion in healthcare, another two trillion in climate and infrastructure, and then education, another one and a half trillion. So those are some spending areas. I mean, do you really not want to put spending in healthcare? Do you really want to not put spending in climate and infrastructure and then education? I mean, I think most people would agree those are areas if we want to do some spending, we probably should do some spending. And um you know, I just think that there will be some some um, agreement on both sides of the aisle. It's now it's that's the difficult part is how do you finally get there? But we really think we can get there. And w- stock markets like spending, whether you agree with it or not, they like spending. And that's just something from an investment point of view to be aware of that. Joe Biden's likely going to bring a lot of spending. Honestly, President Trump would have won. He was one of the more liberal presidents on the Republican side ever with the way he he, he viewed spending money. Um, so it would have happened with either president. But obviously, Joe Biden's going to bring potentially a $7 trillion spending uh, deal the next 10 years. So that's something that um, could really move stock markets um, in our view. Well, I think that, you know, what, what you're pointing out there is an economic uh, light at the end of the tunnel. I, I mean, I think that's the way I'm reading your remarks and that. And, uh, and I think a lot of people are feeling that uh, right now. And um, it's a chance maybe to get some of the rancor and confrontation out of the picture and try to do something for the American uh, good. That would be a nice change, would it not? That would would be nice. Yes. Uh, I'm going to let you sum up uh, and finish uh, the discussion here. I've had the pleasure of hearing you more than once, and uh, it's always fresh and good. So you want to just sum up kind of where you see things right now? Uh, I think the listeners to this would uh, uh, be pleased to hear that. Absolutely. So again, to summarize it, we think the recession that started earlier this year ended this summer. Um, We think with the potential spending that can come on play, we didn't even talk about the Fed. The Fed is still there. The Fed is likely going to keep rates low for a while, uh, be a major backstop, which can continue to help bring back two things, confidence and liquidity. Um, You know, from a stock market's point of view, the small caps haven't even made a new high for two years. Okay. People think the stock market's up a ton and it is because large caps have done so well. But the reality is, is, is there's global stock markets that are doing great. Japan is breaking out to a 29 year high as we speak. Um, there are some real positives happening around the globe from an investments point of view. Also, from an economic point of view, um, you know, Chinese exports, nobody trusts Chinese data. I get it. But still, Chinese exports recently hit a two-year high. Manufacturing here in the U.S. hit a two-year high. Consumer confidence is strong. Small business confidence is strong. Um, there are there are a lot of positives, a lot of negatives. I'm not being Pollyanna here. At least I don't want to be Pollyanna here. There are a lot of potential negatives and, and trips that we could have as we head into 2021. But the truth of the matter is if you do not have a recession next year, which was with 25% earnings growth on all likelihood on the S&P 500 next year, you're not going to have a recession. You're going to have an expansion. Expansions last four to five years on average. This one just started 
side. Uh, so from an investment's point of view, we still think stocks can do well relative to bonds. The economy continues to open up. And there's really, it's been a really rough year on a lot of fronts, no doubt about it. Uh, but there really will be brighter and better times as we head into 2021 and into 2022. And likely, uh, um, we're not calling it a roaring 20s quite yet, but we really do think that there can be a lot better times ahead here uh, this next decade from what we just saw. Well, thank you, Ryan. Uh, we're privileged to have you. It's really an honor. Oh, the honor is all mine, believe me, but I, I appreciate that. And anytime you guys need me, I'm there for you. You know that. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be sharing more stories in the episodes ahead. So if you like the information you heard today, please make sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wishing you all continued success. We'll talk to you soon.